Good morning. As Mao said, it is fantabulous to be home. We, uh, that's a, uh, a journey home I'd like to not have to take ever again if I can uh, make that possible. But yes, we were, we were all beat. That was a very test of um, our friendship and certainly our teammanship. Sitting on, a, on an aeroplane in airports with, um, with the same guys for about 48 hours will definitely test your patience, that's for sure. But we got through it well, so no fights and, and no, no bad things, which is good. I, um, I was sitting in, we were sitting, we had the most beautiful um, view at the place we were staying, this little house on the top of, of a Sri Lankan mountain. And God just dropped this message on my heart, and it's quite a heavy message, but it's one that comes with um, encouragement and excitement. A lot of the time we spent in Sri Lanka, we spent half the time um, speaking with with guys from all over the, all over the globe that have planted churches, guys from from Thailand, from Abu Dhabi, all over the world in, in the most obscure places, and the churches are just thriving. But one of the main things that we spoke about with those guys was the importance of what we're doing right here, the importance of the church body, and the importance of what Christ is coming back for. And it really challenged in me and spurred in me this this need to to step it up a gear, this need to be more than than just Sunday churchgoers. And it really challenged in me, um, Jess and I, my wife, were given a, a word while we are there about stepping into the call of God. And, and God really really plopped on my heart the, the need to, to reach for our call. But he also did that with caution. But I want to I wanna take, take you through a few verses and a few stories in the Bible where we actually look at the call of God and, and what actually happened with some of these people. So I... Um, I really want to start in Esther, and I, and I want to go through Esther. We, in, in the Western contemporary church, we use Esther as a nice little tagline to, to make people come to church more often. You know, we use that, you're in a kingdom for such a time as this, as a nice little pick-me-up when, when we're feeling a bit down. But I really want to look at the story of Esther and really go through what Esther actually went through and who she was to take the call that God had for her and actually step into that call. So if you go with me just to, to the book, the first, the first of Esther. Actually, before the first, don't go to the first of Esther. Before you go there, go to Galatians for me. Sorry, it's going to be a bit jumbled. I'm a bit all over the shop. It was so much excitement writing down and, and I wasn't super prepared to, to preach this morning. So I, um, I just put it all on paper. So we're just going to go, go with me to Galatians rather. Galatians 4.8. I want to read you this, this, this letter that Paul writes to the Galatians. And I want to start here, and it's going to start quite heavy because what Paul is saying is incredibly challenging. So I'm just going to read. I'm reading out of the ESV. I'm just going to read from, from uh, Galatians 4, verse 8 to verse 20. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you are, now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again? to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more. You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I have also have become as you are. You did me no wrong, and though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify that that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. 
Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I present present with you. My little children, for whom I again in the anguish of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now, and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. This is a man, Paul, writing to the church, saying that I anguish over you like childbirth. So the mothers, the mothers in the room who have had children, that's got to ring, ring tones, huh? That Paul was so anguished about the growth of the church. He was so anguished that it was like childbirth. How he was able to relate it to that, I'm not really sure, but he does. What we see in this letter to the Galatians is Paul crying out to the Galatian church. Church, what have you done with what I've given you? What have you done with the things that I've shown you? Sure, while I was there, things were amazing, but when I left, everything's gone away. What, what are you doing with the things that I've shown you? Where is your blessedness? That he actually says to them, when I was with you, you would have teared out your eyes and given them to me because they trusted him so much. But when he left, they went to nothing. So we, we were going through some of these churches which guys have been going into for years and, was, and we were questioning the method in which we build the church. And we came to a conclusion that, that leaders can't do it. God hasn't called leaders to, a, to, to be the, the body of Christ. He's called everybody. So we, we can't do this thing. And the more, the more churches we went into in Sri Lanka, the more we realized, wow, actually we, we got, Jess and I got called white skins. It was quite hilarious. But they saw who we were. They saw our white skin. They saw our Western culture. And they were so excited because we could give them something. But what Paul writes to the Galatian church is, what are you doing? I gave you something and now I've gone. What are you doing with it? And, you know, as I was sitting on this, this hill, I felt like that's what we're doing with the church. You know, even the, the Western church, we have so many church sitters, but we don't have church beers. You know, we need guys to, to be what God's called them to be. So I want to speak about, I don't really know, about call and about what it means. We'll work it out as we go along. But if I can just challenge you that this letter from Paul must frighten us. That Paul is saying to them, please, church, do something. You know, I've given you the tools. God's given us the tools. Let's do something with it. So now you can go with me to Esther. So I am going to bounce around in Esther a bit, but if you've got it open, you can go there if you want to. If not, it's okay. I'm not going to wait and read. I've gone through and put all the points where I've, where I've needed points, but I want to look at I want to look at a few things in Esther. The call that Esther was given, the size of the job that Esther had to accomplish, the responsibility that she held in that job, and the result of the job that she accomplished. So essentially we need to look at all of the things in a book. We can't just go to to the gauntlet that Mordecai throws to her and says, if you're in such a kingdom, then you should do something because it's not enough. So, to begin with the call of Esther, when we, when we look and go through Esther, we understand that, that the Jewish people, the entirety of the Jewish people, rested on Esther's shoulders. That Mordecai, Mordecai refused to bow his knee to Haman. I think it was Haman. Haman? Yeah. So he refuses to bow his knee to Haman. Haman asks all everybody to bow to Haman because King Xerxes allows Haman that responsibility. He says, here's my ring, here's my papers, 
You were in charge. Whoever you decide bows to you will bow to you. So Haman asks for everybody to bow to him. Mordecai says no, because I only bow to one God. So because of that, Haman has a, a um, dispute, I guess, a, a fiery anger toward the Jews. So he calls for all the Jews to be killed. Now, amongst before that happens, King Xerxes, his wife, you can read it in the first, I think it's Esther 1 through to 3, talks about his wife leaving him. So he's, he's seeking for a new wife. So the call that we have of Esther, before she even steps into, before she even realizes what her call is, it's set up that, that Esther is to save the entire Jewish people. In our mindsets, in a Western contemporary mindset, that would be all of the Christians, the entirety of the, the Christian race, I guess, that you could say, was what, how big this role would have looked for Esther. Not only that, we also see that Esther, there's no other way, although Mordecai speaks about which we'll talk about later, there's no other way that the Jews could be saved from what was going to happen from Haman. We don't get a picture. Esther didn't have a picture of what it was going to look like any other way. Mordecai says to her, God will save them another way. But for her, she realized on her shoulders she was the only person that could save the, the Jewish race or the, the Jews, essentially. So how was she to do that? So what, what, I'm, what I want to set up is the, the, the size of the job, but also how God amazingly puts her in the, the right position at the right time to fulfill a job that nobody else could fulfill. So then we, we, we move on to, to the size of the job that Esther had. So we understand the call. The call was predominantly for Esther to save the Jews. We all good? Yep. I'm, I want to break this down really simply because I want us to understand, because then when I relate it back to what we're doing here in church, I want us to be able to understand the size that Esther had to walk through, the, the suffering, the pain that she stood in. Okay, so Esther 2.7, we find out that Esther was actually an orphan, that she lost both, her, both of her parents and had to move a long way in order to be with her uncle, Mordecai. So we now have a, have a woman who loses both her parents at a young age. She moves to live with an uncle that she wouldn't have really known. They didn't have Facebook and Twitter and those things there. So, so we have to picture that this now young girl is leaving her parents because they've both died. She's now moving to be with an uncle. She gets to be with her uncle and her uncle says, there's, a, there's an opening coming up for Queen. How the opening comes up is wild, but the fact that she can try out to be the queen. So she's now been poor, broken, and an orphan. And her uncle said to her, don't worry, I'm going to put you in this running to be the queen. So King Xerxes, um, I think it's in, in three, but King Xerxes asks, um, a, a, an advisor to him says, gather all the, all the virgins of the area and bring them in. And bring them into a thing that he called the harem. So a harem was an area where a room essentially where all the women would go in and they would wait to be called by the king to try out to see if they could become queen. So they would go into this room. But before they were called into the harem, they would have to spend a year in beauty training, essentially. They would have to learn how to wear makeup. They'd have to learn how to eat properly, have to learn how to... So, so don't forget, Esther's now gone from... Her parents, who have died, now she's gone to be with Mordecai. Now she's gone to a year's worth of training in a, in a, in a place she has no idea what's happening. So now she's, she's off for a year to see if she can be worthy of being the queen. So she's, she's now in this beauty training. 
I know this is long-winded, guys, but I, I, I want to get to something in it, and I need to do all this so that we can understand the, the, the size. So she spends a year in, in training, then she goes back into, the, into this harem with, with all these other women. Now, the other women would have been royal women, they would have been trained women already, they would have already known the city, the town. This feat is massive. We now have this poor, broken orphan who has just been in a year training trying to get ready for something she has no idea what she's stepping into. So now every every woman that the, that the king would call would go in and have a night with the king. If he decided that that was a good thing, they would get sent to what's called the second harem, which is a second room filled with essentially more women who have now spent a week, uh, a night, sorry, with the king. So Esther goes along. She gets called by the king because she happens to stand out in a crowd. She goes in to be with the king. She spends a night with the king. She goes back into the second harem. Now in the second harem, in that second time, it says in... Esther 2, 9 and 10, that there were seven women called in. So if you've ever been to a job interview, she made top seven. It's good stuff, huh? You're pretty, pretty impressed. So she now is, is, is in top seven. So again, she spends another night with the king and the king likes her. So all of a sudden he decides that's the one I'm taking her. So all the other women now, it, we don't actually find out what they, what they do, but it, it says, I was reading somewhere that it said that they they stay within with the eunuchs and they stay in that place in case the king decides to call another. But so Esther has now been queen. So she's gone from a broken home, she's gone from poverty, she's now gone through the runnings of, of about a year and a half, and she's now queen with everything she could ever imagine. Now all of a sudden this this you're in a kingdom, why don't you just save the Jews becomes much harder. Because now she has a ton of wealth. She has a ton of security. She has a ton of, of protection. She has everything she's ever wanted. The final thing that, that just puts the clinch on, on how big this of a role is, Esther understood that the only people that could go in to see the king were those that were called. If they weren't called, they would be killed on the spot. So now Esther goes, okay, I sit in my room until I'm called by the king and I go to the king then. If I go at any other time, he's going to kill me. So now we can go to Esther 4, 14. See, all of a sudden now this, this verse that we hear all the time of Esther, why couldn't you just, just do it? Why was it a hard thing? Why did you have to call a fast and, and all this prayer? Why didn't you just do what God had asked you to do? Esther 4.14, For if you keep silent at this time, this is Mordecai speaking through another guard, For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And, and who knows whether you have not come to, to be a kingdom for such a time as this. So Mordecai now says, Esther, if you don't do this, you and your father's house are going to perish. So she goes, okay, I'm going to lose everything that I've just worked for to become queen. I could potentially die when I step into, into this to see the king. Or Mordecai just told me that God's going to kill me and my family either way. Now we can start to understand the weight of the call that's on Esther's shoulders. Now it's not just a quick, Esther, just do it. So now when we hear Esther cry out for for prayer and, and, and fasting, we go, wow, actually, she would have been in distress. 
What a massive call. How many, has anyone else in, in the room had a call of that size? All of a sudden, our Christian walk starts to be, wow. We can now start to put it in perspective, you know. I'm not saying that, that, that the, the mountains that we fight, that we face aren't big, but what I'm saying is that God shows us massive mountains in the Bible. Just on that line where, where God says relief and, release and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. I just want to stop for a second and just tell a story about that. We, um, in, back in Crossing Point, when I first went to Crossing Point, we joined, I joined and was in an interesting place in my Christian walk. I was, I was teetering a, a crossroads as to where I would walk. And there was a couple at Crossing Point who came along, I hadn't met Jess at that point, who came alongside me and begun discipling me. And they were incredible. Some of the distance that they helped me walk, some of the things that they saw, I really saw them as, as a, as a spiritual father. And not only that, they were leading in the church and they were a big part of the church. So we saw them every time we would, we would worship together. I was eating in the house all the time. They were a father. We had some, some incredible hardships. Um, rocked the boat at, at Crossing Point in, in the early days that I was there. And they couldn't hold on. It completely rattled who they were. Their call of, the, I believe without any doubt that their call of God was to stand and be in this, in this house to help both the leaders and the people walk through it. That was their call, for any question. And I believe that they had an Esther moment. God said to them, I've got something for you. I need you to do it. But if you don't, I'll bring somebody else. So unbeknownst to me, they left. And they didn't say a word to me. They, we worshipped one Sunday. And they were packing up their leads and their guitars, which was weird because they left them there all the time. And they left. And that was it. I never heard we're leaving. I never heard why we're leaving. They never did anything. They didn't, didn't help me go through where I was at. They didn't help me process with that. They just left. I was, I was rocked because I was like, this is ridiculous. Now I'm sitting in a church where I don't know who I can trust. I don't know who I can believe. And within about two weeks, there was a couple that we met in Sri Lanka from Dubai who turned out to be, turned out to be South Africans. But they were called to the church on a clear call from God. And you know, within that week that they landed, I had a stronger relationship with them than I had with the other guys. Within a week, God moved in and just went, these guys will take their role. And I remember we were sitting, having coffee, and, and Clint, the, the guy who came, he said to me, you know, this wasn't our role. This wasn't our call. But the guys who were called for it wouldn't take it. So God asked us. And I went, Wow. You know, that's what Mordecai was speaking about when he said it to Esther. That the calls originally given to you, along with the grace, along with the blessing, but we decide whether we take it. And you know, this couple, I, I, have, I don't have any contact with them anymore. I actually lost contact with them, but I don't know. I know what church they're going to, but I don't know how things are. We just don't talk at all anymore since that. But I know that, that they didn't get the blessing from, from their task there because they let it go. But Clint Michelle, who took that, that took that task, they answered God. They will get that blessing, you know, and they they filled that spot amazingly. So you know, guys, there's there's such a a, a moment here where we look and we go, 
why does, why does Mordecai say to Esther that somebody else, God will bring somebody else? Because he wants you to have that job. You were designed for that job. He will get the job done with somebody else if you don't want it. But he designed it for you. The grace is for you. The blessing is for you. But we decide if we take the job. I love it here where, where Mordecai, he, he asks that as a question. Esther, who knows whether you've not come to the kingdom for a time as this. He doesn't say to Esther, Esther, this is your task, you must do it. He says, Esther, you decide. You know, so now when we sit in church and, and God gives us, God never ever says, son, you must do this. I challenge you to find it in the Bible where God says, you have to do this. Sure, he will, he will will us to make sure that we get there. I mean, Jonah's a good example. But it's our choice. He gives us the free will to do as we please, and that's with our call. So how often, how many, how many times have we missed it? How many times have we misunderstood it? Okay, so, so the call of Esther was to save the Jews. She was a broken orphan with nothing in front of her. And now she had a, had a job that she had to complete or there was death. Everyone with us? We get it, yeah? Yep. See the stages. Okay. The final, the result, the actions of Esther. This rocks me. I think this is so fantastic. So Esther decides, okay, yes, I'm going to save the Jews. She rushes into King Xerxes. He doesn't kill her. They talk it through, and King Xerxes agrees with what's going to happen. Have you ever looked at the result, what they got? Now remember that they were both Jews, both Mordecai and Esther were Jews, not liked in the city. King Xerxes gives Mordecai, has Haman killed in his own gallows that he created to kill the Jews. So Haman says, kill, this is a bit brutal, but there's no kid, huh? Little sleeping kids. He, um, so Haman creates the gallows to kill the Jews in. Xerxes says, no, kill him in, the, in the, the gallows that he created to kill them. So now Haman gets killed. Xerxes gives Mordecai the ring of Haman, gives him all his wealth, and he gives him a place to live. So he gave him what he had stored for Haman, and he appointed Haman. The Jews don't get killed. Mordecai and Esther have the ability to make decisions with the king directly on behalf of the Jews. They wrote letters to every nation in their own tongue the fact that the Jews had now been freed from this persecution that was put on by Haman. He also gave 8.11, Esther 8.11, he gives them the opportunity to attack someone who's attacking them. So before this, there was a, a law created that Jews couldn't protect themselves, nor could they attack. So if someone was attacking them, by law, they weren't allowed to, to fight back. Xerxes now removes the law and gives the Jews the ability to protect themselves and to fight back. This is incredible. This rocks me every time that, that we, we have a, a girl who was a nobody, 
essentially. God calls her into a position to become a somebody. The task is way bigger than she ever believed that she could accomplish. She accomplishes it, and then God pours out on, on her people. How many times do we, do we look at something, do we look at our life as a Christian and go, I can't do it? Okay, no, yes, I can do it. What? You want me to do that? No, thank you. Again and again and again and again, this church, the church, not just this church, the church, sits on their hands because they don't understand what God has for them. They don't understand who they are. We don't understand the call that we have for us. And we don't understand the the ability God has to give us that call. So we, we get confused and we become stagnant. And you know, we, we, we saw elements of this in Sri Lanka. But the beautiful thing that, that just amazed me was that Mike Elchingham, the guy who was, um, leading the ascent, the, the, the first early times, who we will meet in three months, two months, he's coming in to, to preach. Amazing guy. Um, Crossing Point has been walking with him for a while and, and, you know, he goes into the same churches, empowering the same churches, empowering the same people, faces that, that he knows every time they go in, the same people. But it's the same thing, you know, guys, we need to pick this up. God's given us a task. He's given us a call, but it's not on the leaders to force the people to take their call. It's up to you. You get to take the call. You cannot take it, but the path isn't fun. You know, Mordecai explains that the path isn't fun. I want to look at a few other, a few other big stories in the Bible, not as in depth as that are, but I, I, I want to show you something. So in, in Genesis 6 to 9, you don't have to go there, but in Genesis 6 to 9, we see the story of Noah. Wild, absolutely wild. I, I think about this all the time. If God said to me, Ben, go and build a boat, I would laugh, go back to my job and keep keep working. I mean, we have to understand the size of the job that God asked Noah to do. Humongous. Noah packs up his bags and he goes and does it. And what was the result of that? Huh? We all know the result, eh? Because if we didn't, we wouldn't be here. Moses, 3.11 comes out of Egypt, establishes a, lo- a life, a wife, family, kids. God tells him to go back. Are you joking? Moses had his life established. He had everything he would have needed. Life, a job, comfort, security. He probably led a nice little church there. God takes him to a secluded little place sets a bush on fire and tells him to go back. You're joking. Do you know what Moses says? Exodus 3.11 Who am I, God? Who am I to go back and do this task? Yes. God responds to him, I'll be with you. It doesn't matter who you are, I'll be with you. I don't have to tell you who you are because I'll be with you. That's huge, church. 
Exodus 3.11, the next time that you feel like the task is too big, just pop into Exodus 3.11 for a second. I need you to go to Africa. Who am I? But I'll be with you. I need you to stay here. But who am I? I'll be with you. You see, church, we've got we've to begin to understand our call. Once we learn our call, once we know what we have to do, there's a next step. So many, we, so often we preach, learn your call. Guys learn their call. They go, thank you, I know my call. Are you doing it? No, because it's too big. I know it's challenging and I know I'm giving you a lot of silence to think, but, but this thing rocks me every time. Because I say to God, God, please tell me I'm doing my call. Please tell me that when I step out of my house, I'm doing what you want me to do. Who am I? But I'm with you. Paul, Acts 14, 19. This guy's ministry is ridiculous, to say the least. I'm just going to tell one story of many that you could go and find, but Acts 14, 19, I was talking to Malware away. Paul's preaching in Lydia, Lydia. Lydia, I think it's Lydia. It's teaching regardless. Acts 14, 19, you can find it. He's preaching. The, the, the Pharisees and the people there don't like what he's preaching, so they stone him to death, they thought. So I want you to, sometimes we, we don't actually picture what's happening in these things. We don't actually take it. We, the Bible is, it doesn't give us the, um, the severity of it because it's from a writer who it happened to. You know, so Paul's not going to sit there and explain how painful it was or you know, what he heard or the things that he saw. So in the Bible it says, Paul got stoned nearly to death, he got back up and went back in. But think about it for a second. They threw stones at him until he was, they thought he was dead for preaching the gospel. So he's now in a city that he believed God called him to, to preach. They throw stones at him till he nearly dies. Then they drag him outside of the, out of the thing. They dump him on outside of the gates. The disciples come out. He stands up. He goes back in. Are you insane? Church, the, the, the intense understanding that the, the, the church that they had of the Bible, they had of what God was teaching them. They saw, it's ridiculous for me to be stoned to death but go back in, but I've got to do it. Because God asked me to do it. I've got to go back in there. I've got so much more to do. I've got so much more to say. But Paul, you nearly died. I don't care. I don't care. God's called me there for a reason. He will give me the provision to be in that place. You see, so often, and we hear it time and time again, and we're constantly working through guys who feel like they've been hurt. And I get it. The church hurts people. It's bad. We need to stop it. But I feel like more and more, more and more and more, the church goers, the, the, the body of Christ, are so flighty. A little pebble gets thrown and it's game over. Yeah. You know. Mate, you've played the uh, you've played the wrong string there. Just change that string called right. I'm starting a home group. I'm out. I mean, like, <laughs> it baffles me. If anyone had a reason to say to God, "I'm not doing this anymore," was Paul. God, they're throwing stones at me. They nearly killed me. I don't care. So, 
I've got your back. Who am I? I'm with you. You see, that's what we need to understand, church, that this thing is so important. We are the bride of Christ. And it's not just this church, it's not just this building, it's not just us. We are in a part of a larger body, and it's so important that we do this right. You know, so I was, we were sitting up on this, this hill, and I was just laboring with these thoughts, saying, God, but how, how, how do we get people to see this? And he showed me the verse in Esther. Mordecai doesn't tell her to do a thing. He asks her, what's your job? What's your duty? What's your call here? So I really want to challenge us, church, myself included. This was a hard message to write. This is a hard message to understand. But one of the beautiful things we saw while we were away, Mike, he spends his whole life, aside from three months and a year, he's home for three months and a year, and I'm not, I'm not trying to build him up, I'm trying to show you something. He goes from church to church to church all around the globe. Before he comes to us, he'll be in five nations. Now, instantly we all start thinking, wow, he must be at you know, massive conferences, preaching to thousands. That guy will go to churches that have three people in them. And he goes not, for, not necessarily for the three people, but for the guys leading those three people. Okay, guys, what do we do? Where are we at? What's your call? How do we complete it? What grace have you got? Where can we, where can we use it? And the, the most incredible thing about that is he understands the importance of the church. He's not in it for himself. He's not trying to build this, this big thing. He's going, all right, there's churches out there that need what God's given me, so I'm going to go and take it to them. And one of the biggest things he said while we were there that, that challenged me was, church, what, how are you raising other leaders? How are you challenging them to pick up their call and not just falling under what, what you guys are doing? And I thought, wowzers. This has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with Mao. It has everything to do with Jesus. You know, and we, we are a part of something that he wants. John 17. I'm not going to read it, but I think it's John 17. I'll work it out after and I'll... But he, but he wants what we're building. He, he weeps for the church. And yet we get a pebble thrown and we leave. We get a pebble thrown and we, we cause disruption. We get a pebble thrown and we just lose the plot. I want to take you to the last story, that I, the last person that we've had, that we had. We had Noah, we had Moses, we had Paul. The final one we have is Jesus. Luke twenty two forty two. Jesus is on his knees in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, Father, take this cup from me. I can't do this. And God empowers Jesus to go to the cross. You know, so much anguish, we hear it all the time, it's so much anguish that he sweated blood. The call on Jesus' life was massive. He was fully God, but he was also fully man. And in that moment where he cries out to, the, to God, Father, take this cup, that's his humanity. 
You see, guys, we don't have to be these strong, these strong, puffed-up Christians who never have a have a buckle. We're gonna we're gonna face troubles. How do I know that? Because just about every person in the Bible faces something. Not only that, God gives us the tools to move mountains. Why do we need that? Why do we need the tools to move mountains if He just keeps moving them out of our way for us? You see, we've created this this beautiful Christian bubble where no one gets hurt, we just float around and high-five, we hug each other, and then when a little pebble hurts, whoop, I didn't sign up for that. But that's not what the Bible portrays. You know, it rocks me. Paul would have been healing people, and now he almost dies. He would have stood up bleeding, but he goes back in. Yes, God would have healed him. Yes, God brought him through that. Yes, God's given him the grace to do that, but so has he you. Jesus, God cries out, take, he, Jesus cries out to God, take this cup. Father, please. Son, I can't. That's your call. What is your call? And how are you completing it? The reason that, that I took so, to, so much time in Esther, and the reason why I think Esther is such a clinchpin is because we see so clearly the fork in the road for Esther. It's your choice, Esther. Church, it's your choice. It's your choice that if God's calling you to, to kids' ministry or God's calling you to, to serve the needy out in the street or God's calling you to a worship team or God's calling you to speak to that guy at your work, it's your choice. But let me tell you this. God has the grace for you to do it. And he has the blessing for you to do it. Now, I don't want to get into it because it's a long discussion, but we don't do it for the blessing, but God gives us the blessing. You know, there's, there's, there's a difference between the two. We don't go around doing our call because we're going to get something out of it, but we go and do it because for one reason and one reason at all. God said go. And I think we, we as a church, we draw this picture that, that a church going is us all packing our bags and going into the nations. Sure, for some of us, you're going to have to do that. You know, or for some of us going, it's, it's packing our bags and going into state. Sure, it's for some of us, it's going to happen. But for some of you, your call is to stay. Some of you, your call is to pick a broom up out the back or to speak to that guy who no one speaks to because he's a little bit strange. You see, our call isn't, the church going isn't just all of us rush to Africa or to Asia. What we realize while we're in Sri Lanka is that there's so many churches doing that. And it's great. I'm not trying to say that's the wrong thing, but it's not everybody's call. You know, I, I can't go and tell Dave that I'm, I'm running YWAM now because that's the best way to do it. Because that's his call. It's not my call. Maybe one day. I hope not, Dave. <laughs> you know, like Dave, Dave stands in that position because God's called him there. The difficult thing for Dave is if God ever says, I've got something else for you, he has to go, sure, I'll go. You see, we, we're looking for comfort all the time. We're looking for, for the nice, the nice breezy Christian life. It doesn't exist. The Bible shows us that it's filled with tough times. But you know the most beautiful thing about that is that God is with them every step of the way. 
I'll never leave you nor will I forsake you. That's about our call. So if God tells you to go and build a boat, my goodness, build the boat. He has all the tools for you. He has everything you have. I'm going to finish with this. If you just go with me to Ephesians 1, 15 to 23. Does that make sense, church? Is everyone understanding, feeling challenged? Good, which it should be. Paul writing to the church of Ephesus, and he says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glory inheritance in the saints? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might? That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, for above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all to the church, which is his body, to the fullness of him who fills in all in all. I love that Paul prays for them for wisdom and revelation of the knowledge of Christ. That's how we find our call. That's how we outwork our call. And that's how we see the fulfillment of our call. Knowledge and wisdom of of the knowledge of Christ. Sorry, knowledge and wisdom of Christ. And you know, I think I think both of those things just Really briefly, I think both of those things speak of, of both the Bible as the one we read and the wisdom being the spirit that flows. We have to have both. We were talking largely while, while we were away about, um, about the, the terrible language in we're a spirit-based church or we're a, a word-based church. I think that's rubbish. We need to be both. You know, and that's, that's what that verse is saying. You know, The knowledge... And the wisdom. That wisdom is, the, is, is that flow of the Holy Spirit, you know. How, who do I talk to? How do I talk to them? How do I mourn with them when, when they're mourning? How do I rejoice with them when they're rejoicing? But the knowledge is understanding that that the Word of God, the, 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 the written Word of God, is our medium for how we understand that. God will never go against the Bible. So if you're thinking something and you're going, I think this is the Holy Spirit, and it goes against the Bible... Let me tell you something, it's not. And as a church, we need to learn that. Read your Bible. Study your Bible. When you hear a story, look at the whole story. Don't just look at the little part that someone's pulled out. Go back, look who the person is, look where they came from. And you know what's amazing? You'll start to figure out, oh, well, that's me. I was an orphan. I was broken, had nothing. God made me a queen. And now I have a job to do. You see, we begin to understand who we are through what, what... God shows us in the Bible. The reason that he, he put this and made it so important is because it will show us what we need to do. Sure, we, we, we need to be flowing in the Spirit and understanding how the Holy Spirit moves. But he will never go against this. 
Why don't you stand and we'll just pray and then we can... Thank you, Father. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, I just pray, Father, and anything that I said, Lord, that wasn't of you, that you drop it right now. That no ear hears what isn't of you, Father. God, but the things that you spoke, I pray right now you begin to spark that flame, Father. That every heart in this place begins to ignite with your call. Father, begin to ignite with who you are, God. I pray that you start something now, Father, that no man can stop, Lord. That you begin this stirring, Father, right now, Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Come and start this stirring right now. More of you, Father. God, I pray that as people go, Father, and they begin talking with one another, Father, as they go home and they dream dreams, Father, that, that you begin to show them your plan for them, Father. You begin to show, Father, what your, your blueprints are, God, what their call is, Father, how we begin to step into that call, Father. God, I pray for knowledge and wisdom of you, Lord. More, Father, more, God. Fill us up, Father. Fill us up, God. Father, we come here to celebrate you, God. We come here to glorify your name, Father. And we come here to be equipped to go back into our lives, Father. To do as you want us to do, Father. To be who you need us to be, God. I'm just going to pray and, and, and I just really feel like we need to declare as, as a body that, that we allow God to use our hands and our feet. I know it sounds odd, but that we actually say to God, Father, come, do as you please. But there's a caution with that. You know, if, 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 we, if we ask God to come and, and do as he pleases, we better be ready for what he has for us. So if you, if, if you don't want to pray, then that's fine, but I'm just going to pray and, and and just as you begin to, to agree, just, just say what you need to say or accept how you accept or pray when you feel like praying. Father, we just come to you right now, God. We offer you our hands and our feet, Father. We offer you, God, as, as clay ready to be molded however you see fit, Father. God, we offer you this church. We offer you these people, Father, to come and use them however you want to use them, Father. Come and be whoever you want to be, Lord. Position us wherever you want to position us, Father. This thing, God, is about you. It's all about you, Father. So we just say right now, God, use us. Equip us, God, and use us, Father. Whatever that looks like, God, whatever place that's in, Father, with whatever people that are around, God, I pray that you equip us and you use us, Father. We offer ourselves as empty vessels to be filled. All of you, God. Just thank you, Jesus. In your wonderful name, God, we pray. Amen. That was awesome, Ben. Um, if, you, if you have raging questions running through your mind at the moment, well, what is my call? Um... Can I encourage you to be really prayerful about that and, um, and, and bear in mind that when God calls us, there is this thing called process, that 
he ordains in our lives. And, um, and, and so the beginning place is, what are you good at? What, what's, what are you doing with your hands and your feet at the moment? Um, and, and the key is, is that you just do that as unto God to start with. Okay, And as you begin to do that, God is going to reveal to you those areas of where he is just blessing and endorsing um, so that you can step into your calling. Okay, I hope that uh, just helps you if you want to go away and just begin to process things. Um, That would be awesome if you would do that. Okay, God bless you. Have a great week. What a beautiful name it is, what a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus Christ my King. What a beautiful name it is, and nothing compares to this, what a beautiful name it is, the name.